You're listening to the Q's Podcast, episode 127. Thank you, Q's Podcast listeners, for tuning in to the Q's Podcast. As you know, on the Q's Podcast, you can hear from a wide range of cross-industry experts discussing trends and topics relevant to you. My name is Tony Covington. I'm the Vice President of Business Development for Talent Ed, powered by Q's. I'm also a former NFL player and have over 20 years of experience in the nonprofit sector with several national brands. I am very excited to be your host for this show. At Q's, we're celebrating Black History Month by talking with African-American leaders about their past and leadership, as well as how best to develop emerging Black leaders. Today, we're going to focus on the specific case of Black female leaders, and I know you're going to really enjoy hearing from our guests, Kimberly Wright and Andrea Brown. Kimberly is the Senior Vice President and Executive Director of the American Heart Association based in Atlanta, Georgia. In this episode, she provides a wealth of information about her own experience in rising to the C-suite, plus tips for women of color who aspire to top leadership roles in their organizations. Andrea is the Executive Director of the Black Mental Health Alliance for Education and Consultation based in Baltimore, Maryland. Andrea lends to the show her incredibly positive energy and provides insight about what it means to be a female leader of color today. Both Kimberly and Andrea bring their expertise in the nonprofit sector to the Advisory Council for Talent Ed, powered by Q's. Talent Ed works with the nonprofits to develop their executive teams, board members, and staff to reach the highest levels of their potential. So let's get started. Welcome to the show, Andrea and Kimberly. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Here at Q's, we want to celebrate Black History Month by identifying top African-American leaders and learning from them. You both definitely qualify for that. So I'd like to help our guests get to know you both before we get into talking about your past to leadership as accomplished Black women. I was wondering if you might each have a professional quote or mantra that you live by that you could share. Andrea, you first. So it's funny, I, uh, and they've changed over the years. So one of the things that it used to be is grind now, shine later, um, but I know I'm not a machine. So some of what I say every day is always find my voice, always find my passion, never miss my purpose. Mm, dropping mics and things. <laughs> Kimberly, how about you? Uh, that is a hard one to follow, but I have to say that mine through the years has been behave as if. Mm. Behave. Yes, yes, behave as if you are that next level. Love wow. it. Wow. That's awesome. Love it. That's Love awesome. it. Let's continue to help listeners understand your experiences as Black women who have grown into top leadership positions. Kimberly, would you describe your journey to the C-suite and what were one or two keys that helped you to get there? So I will spare you the past 30 plus years uh, and keep it short. <laughs> but uh, over the last 20 years or so, I've been in the nonprofit space, uh, starting with the American Cancer Society, director of operations there. Then I took a short stint, went over to Pitney Bowes and sharpened my development, my sales and business development skills. Then I ended up back in nonprofit at the American Heart Association serving as the vice president of community in Atlanta, and most recently serving as senior vice president within the region, within the Southeast region, and executive director for the Metro Atlanta market. A couple of key things that have helped me to get there, I would say, number one, my mantra, 
behaving as if, keeping that in mind along the way. So if I was at a director level and the next step was VP, I behaved as if I was a VP so that I looked the part and behaved the part. But behaving also required learning and development, studying. The other part is expanding my network or group of people that are around me that are different from me because that helped to broaden my perspective. I forced myself to get uncomfortable so that ultimately I could be comfortable in different environments and leading different people. That is awesome. That is awesome. Andrea, uh, what about your journey to the C-suite and what were one or two key factors to help you? So it's funny, as I was listening to Kimberly, it's, it's so interesting how sometimes there's such alignment in this space for women of color, right? And so while the journeys are different, there are some similarities. And so I spent, uh, and again, I won't bore you with the details, but I spent a little over 17 and a half years at the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People at the executive level. And what I found to be probably most interesting is remembering my voice. And we'll probably talk about this a little bit later, but remembering my voice and claiming my space that was real important to me. Um, and I wasn't going to let folk take that from me. And, you know, one of the probably the best things that I learned about the NAACP at that level that, you know, we often see it's male dominated. So it was, I had to be real clear and I had to be real good. So again, you know, remembering my voice, remembering my purpose. And, you know, one of the things that Kimberly said, it just so resonated with me, you know, I'm a lifelong learner. And so if I didn't know, you know, I'd take a class. If I wasn't sure, I'd find a certificate program. And I think, you know, lastly for me is mentorship. And so even folk who, you know, maybe I was bothersome, a little bit younger than they wanted me to be, but I forced myself in spaces because there was gifts that I had to sit at the feet of people to learn. And I was not moving until I got it. Wow. Two powerful women and the explanations are amazing. And Andrea, you and I have that experience at the NAACP and I thank you for kind of putting me up on game when I got there and it was extremely helpful. And I looked at you as a mentor and leader that I could know that I could bend your ear and have conversations because you had had the experience, you know, you've been through the wars. And so I was always really <laughs> appreciative for, for your guidance in helping me during my time there. Thank you so much. I mean, we, we owe it, right? And that we can have that conversation later. I mean, it's, it's not even, I couldn't have said no, right? Even if you said it and I said, oh, beat it. No, that, that's not an option. It really was not. You had to be successful in this space um, because I was there a little bit long earlier. Um, mm -hmm. Then it was my responsibility and especially for women. But so thank you. Thank you for being, for being open and being a sponge. Absolutely. Absolutely. Why would each of you say that we don't see more women in top leadership roles, more specifically, more African-American women in top leadership roles? What do you think, Kimberly? Well, you know, I don't think we can ignore structural racism and sexism that exists. So that's double whammy that we have going in. Things are better and you do see more African-American women in leadership, but not as many as there should be. And honestly, I would say those are the two main factors. So it's hard to advance when the system needs some adjustment and correcting to be open to developing women of color into leadership positions, 
making space for us and recognizing the nuances and the differences that exist when we are in leadership. Excellent. What about you, Andrea? You know, she talked about racism and sexism and that honestly, they're, they're like the twins, right? Um, and so there has been progress, but not nearly enough. And I have to be honest, this journey is a tough one. And so some of what you see is once those kinds of things are encountered and you ask yourself in this moment in history, whether it's 2020, 2021, are we still having these kinds of conversations and behaviors? And so because of that, folks say, you know what, I can do something else. And the truth of the matter is they're called to do what they're called to do. But that's the biggie. That is. And if I might add, you know, when we start to talk about systemic racism in these spaces, right, um, that's trauma. Because, you know, oftentimes when we don't get to move like we need to, you know, that pattern is repeated. And so nobody gets to break the cycle because they're like, it's the old boys network. You're not going to be able to do it. That's it in a nutshell, sexism and racism. And, you yeah. know, I'd add something else. You know, we have the, the system itself, but it's not necessarily an attractive position to be in at all times. It's hard. Balancing being a mother, a caregiver, a daughter, all the things that come along with it on top of being an African-American female leader. So there's one of when we're assertive, we're called a female dog. And then on the other hand, being the angry African-American, once again, that double whammy. So switching back and forth and balancing assertive with confidence and making sure that those around us that we're leading and leading with don't misinterpret it. And then having to come home and take off that hat of leadership assertiveness, trying to balance and compartmentalize and then come home and transition into the other job. It's a lot. So I would also say that sometimes it's not all roses and a comfortable place to be in. It's uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, Kimberly, I'm sorry, Tony. I was just going to say, I'm so glad you raised that because again, I think that's so critical. It is uncomfortable and it's exhausting. And if you don't have the balance, you can forget it. And even when you do those things and you, you called it caregiver, wife, mother, all of that, all of those. And then we still have to show up and play full out. It's difficult. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for raising that. Cause I'm, we talked earlier about our own stories and the things that we do on a day-to-day basis. And so I think that's important to raise. Yeah. So, so it seems critical that the work-life balance is in place uh, because of the traumas that you have to deal with on a consistent daily basis at work, things at home, things may not be going correctly, but you have to have that balance or you will fail. And you two have seemed to master uh, or are in the process of mastering that work-life balance. So kudos to you both. How do you both feel about being in leadership today? And while I know there are a ton of ways to respond to this, do you feel that there is an even playing field once you reach the top? Andrea, you first. Not only is it not an even playing field, you know, again, we talk about, and I think I've said this, and I'm happy to, for us to talk about it at, at another time, but some of what we see is too male and too stale, right? Whether that's on our boards, whether that's in our boardrooms, whether that's in our cubicles, some of what we see. And so, no, the playing field has not been leveled. And the other challenge is oftentimes we have to be twice as good 
three times as good. We've got to be as established, if not more. And so, no, I think this new sort of surge of Black female leadership really will lend itself to really opening more doors, right? So, I mean, there, there have been doors that have been open, but not nearly enough. My one word answer, absolutely not. Well, that's two words, but absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kimberly? Oh, I agree. It's not an even playing field. And we can also talk about the flip side of the coin that right now there's opportunity, but it's not an even playing field. And based on the current climate, we are also called upon to, as the representative for all things diversity, equity, and inclusion. So we're called upon to sit at the board table to diversify a community board. So because there are so few of us, we're being stretched. And then when we're at the table, it's not an even playing field. We still have to show up three times as sharp. Mm. Well, do you do you feel that you have broken through or at least cracked the glass ceiling? I feel like I have busted through the glass ceiling in my current position. And I will say that I have opened it up for others. Mm -hmm. Now, whether or not they patch up the ceiling again afterwards, <laughs> I don't know. They might. They may right. not like my style of kicking through or busting through the glass ceiling, but I right. think I have. Hopefully it stays open. Great. Andrea, what about you? I think the same. I think the same. I'll be honest, though. I worry. I worry about, you know, as I transition out of whatever my space is, whether that's the ED or whatever, I worry that folk are afraid because it is hard, right? I worry that folk are afraid. And I think Kimberly said that they may patch it up. And I think it's easier, right? Because that's the easy way to say, you know what? The hell with it. I can do something else. But the truth of the matter is it's really not optional. But yes, absolutely. But I, I worry quite a bit. Uh, you know, I think about my nieces and, you know, other young people and younger people. And I'm like, I just don't know if they are willing to make the sacrifice because it is a real sacrifice to do this and to keep it open for others. Right. Do you both feel that this so-called great resignation is impacting Black women at the highest levels of leadership? I would say it is, and in a positive way, because going back to the point that there's not many of us in these positions, poaching is happening. So there, you know, you have an organization looking for that same talent, a talent that has been vetted and um, have watch them perform in another organization so it's safe. Like this is a safe Black woman that I can bring over to my organization if we're having a real conversation here, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's great opportunity for us now. But I, back to what Andrea was saying, I just hope that I don't end up being the token and mm -hmm. this isn't a fad mm -hmm. or, a, or a phase. Mm -hmm. mm. Let me just say this to you. You, you, my friend, are all over it. So I agree. Great opportunity. All of that. I think it feels like, right, it's the new sexy thing. And, you know, so we move from token, but it's the new sexy thing. Let's have one at our table, right? Let's have one here. But what happens in spaces like that, if we're not careful, it doesn't lend itself to real voice for us, right? 
and it doesn't lend itself to the opportunity in a real way in numbers to be able to speak truth to power. So yes, definitely it is an opportunity, but it's all in a a risky space because we got to be strategic about how we move in this space. Got to be strategic. Really cannot blow this because if we do, then, you know, it's the new sexy thing or the, you know, the token. Um, So yeah. And we could spend another two hours talking about that strategy. Man, I'm telling you, I think they have to have us back for the strategy. Wow, really? The truth of the the matter is there is a blueprint that we could make sure that women have, right? Black women have so that this conversation will look so different in a year. But it is, it's a strategy. But I think they're going to have us back. That's how dope we are. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Well, look, you guys kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but I want to get into it a little bit more. Uh, I think Andrea referenced too male and too stale. But can you speak to the diversity or lack thereof as it relates to the boards of directors that you've worked on during your careers? So it's funny. So I will say two things. So I sit on this amazing board now, right? It's a board, a, a relatively large board, not as large as the one that I'm really familiar with. And there are two of us that are Black. One is an amazing man and smart, and one is an amazing Black woman, right? And some of the conversation, and now I'm in this leadership role, so I'm vice chair. So it could very well be, and I'm sure their heads will spin. In two years, I could be the chair of this small board run by historically white Jewish people, right? Mm -hmm. It could be. I know they're not ready, and I'm doing my best to get them ready because I plan on not moving anywhere. But I say all of that to say it's still not enough, right? And so I'm asked to... I think both of us are asked, you know, we become the default about diversity, right? So I'm like, no, that's not the conversation I'm going to have. You bring some more folk on board and we do that. So you got that, you know, so I serve in that capacity. And then there are others where it is white male run. And so, you know, there are times and I've said, I'm not going to fight for my voice. You're going to hear me and I'm not moving. But, you know, one of the things that I learned in a hard way from the NAACP, there were 64 members of the board. That's insane to me, right? But 64 members, ridiculously political. So you need to learn how to be able to play chess, right? So you got to be a master thinker, master strategist. I think that I try to remember as much as I can not to say no to another board opportunity without stretching myself too thin. Because I think it's important they need to see us, but more importantly, they need to hear me. And if you're looking for the regular script, you're not gonna get that from me. So, you know, I don't know if that totally answered your question, but I think, you know, we gotta shake things up because again, on many levels, two male, two cell, whether that's black, Jewish, white, whatever that is, right? But I think as we make our way in this space, and it's certainly everybody's voice is valued But, you know, one of the things that I hear often, and I promise I'll keep quiet after this is, well, that's not the way we used to do it. Well, you, we're not there. That was yesterday. Today is a new day. So interesting. Outstanding. Kimberly? Of course, I agree with everything that she said. I will also say that it's not diverse enough. And then when we do get a seat at the table, so if I'm the only one there, I have to be strategic and how I show up so as not to cause them to patch up that hole in the ceiling. 
Mm-hmm. So it also, in terms of how we serve on the boards and how we show up, depends on the maturity level, the diversity maturity level. That's a new thing I just made up of <laughs> a given board or organization. Now, I think it would be smart for corporations, nonprofits, you name it, to invest in board leadership training for women of color in the organization, because when we're sitting on the board, we're representing the organization that we either work for, run, et cetera. So in terms of a succession planning, there is an opportunity for us to ensure that there is a succession plan in place of experienced and ready leaders to sit at the board table. Phenomenal. And, and, you know, what you both are really talking about as well is a diversity in thought. If the if the if you walk into the room, a boardroom, and it's just stale and male, as Andrea put it, there is no diversity of thought. Everybody thinks the same way. And that's the strength of why you diversify a room that looks, you know, multicolor, multi language, multi everything. Uh, it needs to be a diversity in thought. So kudos to you both for really, really identifying what that is. So this has been a really fascinating perspective of the state of things during your rise to leadership uh, and your years as leaders. What do you see as next steps and, and how can pathways be created for the next generation of women of color that aspire to lead? I know, Andrea, you talked a little bit about the blueprint, but what is that? So I think that's a couple of things, right? I think that is us, you know, Kimberly and I, that is really putting together a pipeline. Like there are some programs called Brown Girls Lead. What does that look like? So I think not just programs, but I think we've got to be intentional with recruiting women. I think we have a responsibility to serve as mentors. So I think that's one of the things. And quite frankly, I'd love to figure out a think tank. Right. Like to put together a think tank. So for the next five years, all we do in this space is figure out how to have this pipeline of eager, talented, brilliant women come through so that we don't have to have this conversation. Right. So that we create another a dynamic workforce of leaders. Um, so I think that that's, you know, I think some of it is the book that's in my belly. Right. Probably the one that's in Kimberly's belly. And, but again, it's programs like Brown Girls Lead, you know, it's programs that are specific, but we've got to move with intentionality and we've got to be quick. Mm. Yes, agree. And I think that we have, we need a strong pipeline and quality training for the pipeline so that mm. they are prepared to step in and lead with excellence. Because again, the training needs to be geared towards Women of color, knowing that you need to show up three times as magnificent. So we need the training to be on how to show up three times as magnificent. I know I'm making up phrases left and right here, but here we go. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. That's amazing. So one of the things that Kimberly talked about, you know, this pipeline, right, which I love. And I think in the pipeline, and we obviously we, we don't have time to do the details, but I think there has to be a cohort of coaches, right? Coaches for Black women. So we cannot fail. So when you walk in the door, wherever this, whatever this looks like, right? Whatever this training looks like, you got a coach. And whether she's in Arkansas, whether she is wherever she is, 
you have a coach. She has access to you because that is obviously high level mentorship, but you've got to have a coach. You can't do it. And then coach says, put me in. I'm ready to play. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know what the coach can do also, which we often need and is a big part of coaching when you're about to walk into that two male or stale boardroom is for that coach to tie your super cape on to tell you that you are worthy of sitting at that table. That's right. That's Go, right. girl. That's I mean, right. Truly. And I will tell you in my role today, there are black women on my team and before they are prepared to present, I put prep time, air quotes, on their calendar. I ask them to identify their superpower song, and I need you to blast it. I speak life into them, affirmations, you've got it, hang up the phone, and they go. But we also need that support system that comes along from that coach and the cheerleader to say, you are worthy, you deserve to be there at that table. Mm. Okay, Kimberly, last thing. I think along with that, then we also get the opportunity to debrief, right? So we can say, here's some things that I recognize that could be a pitfall for you, right? And not something at the boardroom, but something in you. What an awesome opportunity we could be given to really help shape and mold this next generation of leaders. That addresses the trauma and prevents the trauma because what do we do? We step away from the boardroom and we wonder, oh, what if I said too much? I didn't say the right thing. And then we start. What do we do? We start hurting ourselves. So we inflict that trauma on ourselves. Mm. You know, as as a former athlete, I think about the teams that we were really good. We had really great coaching. He knew how to put us in key positions that were going to set us up to be successful. And so by creating these coaches for this next generation, that's going to be key in helping them to be successful and helping set them up for success. So I am so glad that you guys get it. (laughs) You guys get it because you've lived it. And so uh, it's wonderful that you have that perspective. I just want to thank you both so much for being here today. Uh, But before we get you out of here, we always end with a segment called Message in a Bottle. And what that is, what is the message that you would leave to your younger self? Kimberly, you first. My goodness. I would say my younger, younger self behave as if. I did not adopt that until my 20s. And I would say behave as if from the age of two, behave as if my mother could speak life to me in my womb and say, behave as if. Wow. Andrea? That's heavy. You know, that's heavy. I think mine would be, you know, you were created to do great things and make impact. Um, And I'd say it over and over because then I know that my thinking would not be small. And it would obviously flow right into that, you know, Kimberly's mantra of behave as if, but you, you were created to do great things and make impact. Wow. Wow. You, you two are amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I think that this next generation is in good hands when we have women leaders like yourselves. And so please continue to chase greatness. Please continue (laughs) to teach the ones that will come behind you how to chase greatness. And you start with teaching them, helping them define what their greatness is and then chasing it with relentless pursuit. So I thank you both so very much. 
for being on this show and continued success to you both. Thank you so much. And Kimberly, you'll hear from me because I think we need to be on to something. We're going to be on to something. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. I would like to thank you, our listeners, for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to today's episode of the Q's podcast. And many thanks to Kimberly Wright and Andrea Brown for sharing such great perspective. You can find the show notes and a full transcript for today's show at cumanagement.com slash podcast 127. Anyone who's interested in more content about women in leadership can subscribe to our Advancing Women quarterly newsletter at content.cues.org slash subscribe and enroll in our upcoming online course, Women in Leadership Online Certificate Program. Get more information on that at cues.org slash Cornell. If you're a Cues member, you have access to invaluable membership benefits to further enhance your development. Many membership benefits are available virtually. Make sure to visit cues.org slash membership to learn more. Thanks again for listening today. Cues is an international credit union association. Our mission is to educate and develop credit union CEOs, directors, and future leaders. To learn how Cues can help you realize your potential, visit cues.org today.